Alright, here for episode 5. I'm doing something a little bit different this time. Normally what I'll do is I'll rewatch a film. So I, li- I normally like to do films that I've seen at least once so that, uh, you know, the... Because normally what I'll do when I d- prepare a film for this podcast is I'll rewatch it and I'll take notes as I go through. So I like it to be at least the second time I'm watching a movie so that, you know, I can just watch it the first time without having to worry about taking notes. Um, so th- this time um, I'm going to try something different. And what I'm going to do is record this podcast as I watch the movie. Um, I'm going to pause the movie, you know, press record on the on the microphone and stuff, record what I have to say about a shot or a scene or whatever. Uh, stop recording, carry on watching the film and do it like that. Um, so it might be an absolute car crash and I'll maybe have to delete the episode, record it again, or you're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> um, I have seen this film before. I haven't seen it for a long time. It's called Garden State, um, written and directed by Zachary Braffery, a.k.a. Zach Braff, a.k.a. JD from Scrubs. Um, stars Natalie Portman. Who, who doesn't love Natalie Portman? She's great in everything. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Let's uh, giggly go on the giggly giggly garden state. Okay, so first things first, we get that opening sort of scene. Um, it doesn't say or a lot, but it does a lot, if that makes sense. Um, so as the, you know, the sort of, not quite the title credits, but you know, the blah, 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 studio, Fox Studio, whatever appears on the screen. Um, you just hear in the background like a distress call from a pilot, um, and then it you know the shot opens up and you've got what is quite obviously panicked uh, pedestri- pedestrians, panicked civilians, people people are panicking, and they're sat on a plane and it's there's turbulence, it's rocking around, the oxygen masks have all been deployed, and then you can just sort of see on the right hand side of the screen sat in the in the middle of a um, a seat of three as planes often are. Um, why did they do that? Put you in seats of three. Surely seats would be full. Would be... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I know why they do that. They definitely do that because the, if the average family is like uh, two parents and uh, and kids, it was definitely like so that the mum would have to like stay with two kids and the dad could just like go off to a seat by himself and fall asleep or whatever. <laughs> definitely like some patriarchal loophole to like get out of being a parent. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So uh, yeah, you have Zach Braff sat in the middle of this seat of three. Um, everyone's panicking, but Zach Braff—I uh, don't know what his, can't remember his character's name in this. Yeah, we'll get to it. Like I say, I'm watching this one through instead of making notes and then recording a pod by reading my notes. Um, so he's sat there, not looking fast in the slightest that it's you know a, a turbulent potential plane crash. Um, which I really, really like because it sort of says a lot about his character at the time. Um, like, if I remember rightly about this film, I believe he's sort of recently lost uh, his mum. So, but if you don't know anything about his character at this point in the film, it sort of just says, why is this person okay with death? Why does he not care? Like, everyone around him is like, oh my God, we're going to die. And he's just sat there like, I'm going to adjust this air conditioning thing so that I can have a little bit more air on my face. Because this is exactly what he does. He adjusts the um, aircon. So I love that. It's like an opening statement, this uh, this shot of where is the mindset of this character. And then it's cut to him laying in a very white room. And the shot is really interesting. I, I need to... 
press play and like see uh, where this scene goes. Um, but I really like that shot. It's like slightly above the ceiling fan. So you can see the tops of the blades from the ceiling fan as if you were above it, like looking on the ceiling, looking down. There's no furniture in the room. There's like a phone on the floor near the bed. There's a stack of like books or papers in the corner with a, with a phone charging on them. Nothing else. The bed sheets are white. The walls are white. The blinds are white. The fans white. The bed sheets are white. Did I say that already? Everything's white in there. It's a weird shot. Let's carry on, shall we? We get a really nice sort of montage sequence afterwards. Uh, so it's probably worth pointing out as well that Zach Braff actually won a Grammy for the soundtrack for this uh, film. Um, so it, he basically created one of the best mixtapes um, that cinema has seen. Very Quentin Tarantino in the sense that he just selected like fantastic songs, be they like pop culture songs or deep cuts, you know, that are like hard to get hold of. Um, like the Urge Overkill version of Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon in Pulp Fiction. Very deep cut, um, but now is probably the more popular version since 1994 when Pulp Fiction came out. Trivia for you there, because I am nothing if not a useless supply of movie trivia. An endless supply. It has its uses. I should be kinder to myself. Anyway! Um, so yeah, the oh, this little bit, this little montage is just sort of like... so. That scene that I was talking about earlier where he's lying in a white room, there's the phone rings, it goes straight to answering message, like one ring, bam, to answering message. Again, says a lot about Zach Braff's character. He probably doesn't like people, doesn't want to engage with people, doesn't want to like give himself the chance to answer the call, just bam, straight to answering message. Very interesting um, construction of this character. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, he goes through the motions again to the Coldplay so th I don't know if I said it a minute ago, actually. So this is to uh, Coldplay. Is it We Live in a Beautiful World? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Whatever. Back when Coldplay used to make music that was half listenable. Oh, I went there. Yes, I did. Um, and then we see him, like, you know, stuck in traffic, um, you know, sort of just going through the motions. Uh, and then he pulls up to his place of work and he gets out of his car and the camera pans from the driver's or my tracks back actually from the him getting out of the driver's side tracks back sees that the petrol pump from the gas station in america is still in the side of his car he's obviously driven away without taking it out he's all over the place because the phone call that he got from his dad in the white room i realize i'm jumping all over the place maybe it is better that i make notes before i just record this on the spot but we're here now um was that his mother has passed. So he's obviously very rocked by that. So during this entire montage of him, you know, driving around to Coldplay, uh, he's obviously very rocked and not thinking straight. He turns up to work and his boss has already given him shit and he could give less of a crap about what his boss has to say. So I've, you know, shot wise and everything, it's been, there's a lot of, um, it's not quite Goodfellas-esque as we're watching him go through uh, you know, the back entrance of his place of work, you know, is in like that one steady cam sort of shot. It kind of is, uh, but there's a few cuts here and there. Um, I really like the lighting between like the back house uh, kitchen area where his place of work is and then going into the actual restaurant area where it goes from being very cold and dingy in the back to like bright. Well, not, it's dark in tone because it's a restaurant, but it's bright in color and warmth. Uh, in the actual restaurant area. So that's a, a nice juxtaposition between the two. It feels very much like you are walking into a new place with Zach as he goes 
to go uh, be a waiter. He gets some shit from some customers at his table, and then um, he he has like a waiter earpiece in. I think this is a very American thing. I don't think it happens much in the UK, but he has an earpiece in. So we get a little uh, voiceover of um, one guy being like, "Oh, waiter, blah blah blah, go to this table." And then as he walks away, as Zach Braff walks away from the table of customers that were being shitty with him, um, that same like earpiece with the guy saying, "Waiter needs to do blah blah blah." That. In the dialogue that he says, it shifts from talking about being uh, in the restaurant to his flight. And then we hear the sound of a plane, you know, that like of a plane in the air that sounded more like an aerosol can. But you get what I mean? Um, So I feel like that is a representation of like him just being so lost in the reality that he's in as in Zach's character. He's so lost and sort of out of touch because something was happening with him before some sort of state of depression or something where he's just like disassociated from the rest of the world and doesn't really give a shit about anything, doesn't care about potentially losing his job, doesn't care about this plane potentially crashing. He hasn't shown a hell of a lot of emotion about his mum passing yet. He's just very detached from reality. So the simple trick of that dialogue, blending the two worlds of being in the restaurant and then the airport, is a very, very clever bit of dialogue there. So um, well done, Mr. Braff, with your writing abilities. So we get to the uh, funeral scene, which I know from listening to the Scrubs podcast, the Scrubs rewatch podcast. If you're a Scrubs fan and you haven't checked that out, check it out because it's very good. Um, But I know from listening to that, that Zach Braff, when he would direct a couple of episodes of Scrubs, he loved using cranes for shots. And there's a really excellent shot for opening up this uh, graveyard scene, uh, the funeral scene, sorry. Um, So it's overhead. You've got a piano at the back with a woman singing in the best, like, I don't know if it's New York or Jersey. I think it's Jersey. Um, but in that real sort of like, I'm singing a song, you know, like a real thick accent. Um, and she's like doing her best. But I think it's supposed to be like, you know, deliberately not the most angelic voice you've ever heard. And then there's rows of people in front of that. And then in front of the rows of people, there's uh, the the coffin being lowered into the ground it's just like straight away it's a great establishing shot you know exactly where we are know exactly what's happening you know how many people are there and then the crane sort of um tracks uh backwards and then tilts down so it's sort of like it's over it's overhead it's gonna be hard to explain with words it's overhead of the whole funeral sort of uh gathering as it were and then it moves down and then becomes like a what do you call that? Like a normal shot behind Zach Braff's head. So it goes from being an aerial shot down and around to behind Zach Braff's head as he's watching this funeral. So even so, he's not actually stood in line with all the rest of the funeral people. Again, he stood to the side. He's disassociated. He's not part of it. Um, and then you see, sort of over the back, out kind of out of focus, there's like a yellow JCB digger and two people on it. And I know from watching in in the past, uh, those are his friends. Um, but it's just it sort of like gives you that sense of um, you know for a lot of people it's it's just another day it's just another job they're going to have to fill that hole in with dirt and it sort of takes away any like personal kind of attachment to to what's happening you know it's like yes someone's dead but life's going to move on and we're going to have to fill that thing with hole uh, sorry fill that hole with dirt like it just takes any personal connection away from it Um, so powerful stuff 
Gonna jump ahead to the scene where he finally sort of confronts his dad um, post funeral in the wake. Played by the wonderful Ian Holm. Uh, a lot of you may know him as Bilbo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you don't know him by name. Fantastic actor, RIP to that guy. Um, but from a directorial point of view, there's a, so he walks into his office, his dad is sat behind his, his very large desk, looking all important and proper. Um, and Zach Braff only just about makes it into the doorway. And he doesn't cross the distance between them, which is like a sort of visual representation of, uh, you know, the distance between them. There's, they haven't spoken a lot, as is evident from the voice message that his dad leaves him to tell him his mum's dead at the start. Um, so, yeah, it's just a visual representation of that. Um, they never embrace. They don't, they don't close that space between them. It's kept as minimal as it can be. He stays behind the desk and Zach stays by the doorway um, and then you know Ian Holm has a um, sort of a, a closing line to the scene uh, basically implying that Zach doesn't make any effort to sort of stay in touch with his family or be involved with his family um, so yeah I'm gonna, tr I'm gonna try not to talk about every single scene right and I haven't so far but I've talked about most of them so there's a scene where Zach Braff speeding along on his bike annoyingly not wearing a helmet as someone that used to ride a motorcycle, you should always wear your motherfucking helmet. Put that on. Safety first. K. Okay. Moving on. Oh, I did it again. I did the K thing. God damn it. Uh, so, yeah, he gets pulled over by his friend who's a police officer. And it's only apparent that once they um, get in line with each other that he is his friend. Um, but that mystery is sort of kept by the fact that we only see Zach, like the police officers in the back in the, in, in the distance. There's like spotlights and the headlights of, you know, the blue and red flashing lights and stuff sort of making a silhouette out of the officer. So there's no familiarity from an audience perspective, even if you recognize the actor. Uh, and then when he walks up to him, they're like, oh, shit, we know each other. Um, and I did recognize the actor. It's uh, Michael Weston uh, playing Officer Kenny. And um, anytime it, it basically stays as a sort of like cut back and forth two shot between them. But anytime it cuts back on Zach, you see the red flashing lights both on Zach's face and the building behind him. And then when it cuts back round to uh, Officer Kenny, you don't there's you don't see any of those lights flashing. So I guess that's sort of showing that like Zach is uh, sort of the criminal in this uh, situation because he was the one speeding, ends up getting away with nothing because they're friends, um, so he doesn't get a ticket or whatever. But he's still presented visually with the lights and things as a criminal in that setting. So there you go. We go to the house party scene. Um, well, there's a really so they um, they get to the house party, blah blah blah, whatever. There's a the main part of it is when they go to this like room at the back where there's only a few, like sort of select few people hanging out. And uh, Zach Braff's character is sat in the middle of the sofa, and then either side of him are his friends. And most of the camera will either just be like stills on all the people sort of sat in in the circle around the sofa where the where the three main guys are sat. Or it will be a camera will be sort of on some sort of tripod with a with a pivot looking at Zach Braff and then just pivoting left or right depending on which friend sat next to him he's talking to. So it's all very stationary static movements and like just sort of a tilt left or a tilt right at most. There's hardly any movement of the camera. And then they take a bunch of drugs and the real partying starts happening. And then the camera gets a lot more free. You know, it, it actually physically will move up and down or tilt up and down and and spin. And 
you know, sort of be bumped a little bit, like a bit more steady cam esque. So the the camera suddenly gets all this movement and going from a very still stationary manipulation of the camera to a bit more fluid and free as the people start to get more fluid and free and they start getting a little bit messed up because they're taking drugs and drinking and stuff you with the way the camera is mimicking their behavior it's it's just a nice way to sort of lull the audience into this uh this party atmosphere that they're creating and then i really like the song that they chose um i don't know if it's dido i don't know what the song is uh, but it has that kind of mellow dido-esque vibe and normally when you go to a house party it'll be like you know someone with a lot of bass so to have this kind of more chilled music on in the background is is weird it kind of gives this the partying a, a more mellow vibe than you would expect um but for the entire thing again zach braff doesn't move from the sofa that he's on everyone around him moves they stand up they sit down they switch seats they dance they take their clothes off blah 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 he just stays sat as he as he was from the very start of the scene when he got in there so it's like Again, it's it's reinforcing that disassociation of him from everyone else. He's completely on the outside. There's so many beats at the start of this movie. Because I think, what, we're like 15, 20 minutes in? 19 minutes and 33 seconds in. Um, there's so many beats that just reinforce the fact that his character is very isolated and very separate from everybody else. So, like, the kind of main setup of a lot of the characters in this film is that, like, everyone is just treading water and going through the motions and not like achieving a lot of things with their life like uh zach Braff's, braff's character is uh at the start he's in los angeles that's why he has to go back and he hasn't seen his friends or family for a while right and everyone's like oh wow you're this like big successful actor or whatever but like when we know him early on as an audience member he's working in a chinese restaurant um so then all the when he gets back home all the rest of the characters like his best friends are like grave diggers um, one of them made a load of money, which is the party house they went to, and then hasn't done anything else with his life since he patented the thing that made him money. Um, and then, so the morning after the party, he's staying at his friend the grave digger's house. Um, who is the the actor from Jarhead? I love this actor. What's his bloody name? Peter Sarsgaard. Great, great actor. Um, so he's, uh, yeah, he wakes up at his house um, with, oh, I want to call him Sheldon, but it's not Sheldon. It is Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. Um, but I should call him by his real name out of respect and the sense that, you know, Jim Parsons, that's it. The sense that, you know, actors probably get a bit annoyed when they're only referred to their, their thing, their character name. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, where was I going with this? Yeah, so... The shots and everything, are, it, there's a breakfast table scene, you know, so the the shots are quite simple. It's just, you know, mids and, and close-ups and stuff as they have the conversation. But the heartbeat of the scene is within the dialogue. So there's obviously tension between the fact that uh, Jim Parsons' character is there. Um, he's wearing a medieval knight costume because it becomes apparent in the conversation that he works. Uh, I think he called it Medieval Times, which is a medieval fast food themed restaurant. Um and obviously we know his friend is a uh, grave digger already um so you know these are these are people approaching their 30s so no offense to anyone that is in a similar position but it's just made apparent with these characters that they're not reaching for the stars they're kind of treading water a little bit um 
so there's the, the Jim Parsons is there because he's just slept with um Peter Sarsgaard's mum um and stayed the night and he's wearing his medieval get up so there's the comedy of like him clunking around in this thing um and then there's the awkward dialogue between them where they're taking pot shots at each other it's very well written the the dialogue in that scene and then there's a great comedic beat at the end where Jim Parsons gets up to leave after being threatened by Peter uh, Peter Sarsgaard and he can't quite get out of the chair because the arm is inhibiting and it's all clunky and loud and noisy and stuff. Um, a, the dialogue in that scene is great and it's just comedic punches and, and awkward tension and things. Very nice scene. Okay, so then we finally get to the scene, Natalie Portman's first scene. And because Zach Breff's character has been so like softly spoken and quiet and unengaging and you know sort of he's kind of had this like low mumble throughout the whole thing a bit unconfident a bit unsure of himself that that type of, that's the energy he's bringing out you know like we established already his character's going through some stuff so he's fair enough natalie portman's character is like a tour de force of energy and charisma and you know big smiles and all that, you know, she's the complete sort of opposite. Um, and even her outfits are a bit more colourful and, and bright and creative than than his. Um, and a lot of the shots, you know, relatively simple, like wides on both of them or, um, you know, mids and close-ups and stuff. But the one close-up that really stands out is when uh, Natalie Portman gets Zach Braff to put on her headphones to listen to this, you know, like chilled indie song. I can't remember what she said they were called. Um, and then instead of it being okay, if I'm gonna have to very quickly explain the um, the continuity line, I believe they call it the continuity line. Oh, I'm questioning myself now. But basically, normally when you're filming something, to stop the audience get confused as to the geography and the layout of the scene, there's a an imaginary line through the middle of the set, right? So if you have two people talking. And you do the wide on both of them. Say they're looking at each other in the face. So you just see the sides of each other's head and they're looking at each other. And then if you want to go on one person, you would normally go over, let's say if we're looking, we'll take the camera to the left. So we'll be over the left shoulder of the person who was on the right of the wide shot, looking at the face of the person who was on the left shot. And then to do the reverse, what we would do is go over the right shoulder of the person who was on the left of the wide to look at the face of the person who was on the right of the shot. What you don't do is so imagine there's a hundred there's a there's a line basically between uh, those two people like nose to nose. There's there's a line. We don't cross that line. So what we don't do is we don't take the camera to the left shoulder of the person on the left to look at the person on the right and vice versa because that all of a sudden when you're watching it on screen it it looks like they're spinning around and swapping places so if they if they're stood stationary then you don't cross that continuity line you keep it on the same side i really hope i've explained that well enough but if i haven't google it watch youtube clip you figure it out it's pretty straightforward but when you abandon that rule it creates a lot of chaos and the geography of the scene's gone so if that's what you're looking for if you're doing a fight scene where things are all over the place and there's bodies moving and there's people and you know then it can be really good for that but most of the time if you're just doing a, a relatively simple scene or shot or where there's not a lot of chaos stick to that rule it's just easier for the audience so most of the shots between zach braff and natalie portman within that um 
obey that. They don't cross that line. But then there's one shot where, so instead of sort of it being over Zach Braff's shot or slightly to the left, uh, sorry, slightly to the right, looking at Natalie Portman on the left or slightly to the left of, Na slightly to the right of Natalie, looking at Zach on, on the side. Uh, there's one shot where he puts the headphones on to listen to this band and then the camera jumps real, real close to that 180 degree line. So instead of being slightly on the side, it's like directly from Zach Braff's perspective. So it almost sort of breaks the fourth wall, as it were. And it's the only shot in this sequence which is from that particular angle. So it sort of breaks. It doesn't quite break over that continuity line, but it, it gets close enough to it that that individual shot stands out as being very much from like Zach Braff's perspective. And when you've got the music over the top, and you can't hear anything else. You can just see Natalie sort of looking like into Zach's soul with her big beady eyes and a big smile. It's a very intimate shot to use combined with the, the music and everything. It's a very intimate, lovely moment. And it's the first time that Zach Braff's character has like properly engaged with another human so far in the film, you know, beyond the surface level pleasantries. It's the first time he's properly engaged with someone. Okay, so then uh, Zach Braff goes into the doctor's office. I don't know if I've said that they're in a doctor's, but they're in a doctor's, and Zach Braff goes into the office after meeting Natalie Portman. And there's a great shot where he's sat behind the doctor's desk, but it's not the typical shot that you see when someone's sat behind a desk in the sense that you can see the whole width of the desk in the shot, and then they're stood in the middle of the frame. Instead, what they've done is we're at the very edge of the desk, so the corner of and the sort of very end of the desk is only taking up like maybe a third of the screen on the right hand side and Zach is immediately behind that and he's somewhat covered up not only by the body of the desk but then this big stack of like files and paperwork on it so you can literally only see his shoulders and his head so he's like insignificant in this shot despite the fact that it's his appointment so it's sort of you sort of just get the sense that the doctor doesn't really give a shit about this particular patient and then pretty much half of the shot is uh, focusing on the wall uh, on the other side of the screen, which is just littered with like certificates and awards and commendations and stuff. And then there's even a few of those on the wall behind Zach Braff as well. And then the camera does a really nice, uh, it cuts to a shot of all of those certificates and things on the wall as Zach Braff looks over to them. And then it tilts up, taking in the full scale of just how many awards this doctor has got to the point where it's a really funny joke. Whereas, like, there's one certificate award thing nailed to the ceiling because it couldn't fit on the wall. There was just so many on this wall, they had to put one on the ceiling. It's a great joke. I guess it sort of just shows, like, the obnoxious sort of showboating of this doctor character. Just real quick on the uh, rest of that scene with the doctor uh, where he's talking to him about his problem. Most of it will be, like, mid-shots um, from either side of the desk you know just doing a, a back and forth um sort of two-hander but then when the doctor starts to get a little bit more intimate he tells a personal story to um like help explain a point to zach braff uh, the camera gets a little bit closer to him and then as soon as he's done with this story there's a punchline from uh zach like yeah i don't think that that's quite what my problem is kind of thing um and the intimacy is gone so then they stop with the uh the sort of more close-up shots um there's one a little bit more towards the end um when he sort of finally gives him some like you know a uh, good doctorly advice um but it's just again the idea of like 
using close-ups for when the conversation gets a little bit more private or intimate. And I don't mean intimate in a relationship way. I just mean intimate in a platonic kind of way. You know, he's telling a sensitive story uh, to Zach. So again, it's just a nice trick you can do um, as a cinematographer or director is just use the close-ups when there's a, a good intention to use them, when there's a real point or purpose behind them, even in a scene that to the average audience member might seem relatively insignificant in the ski, in the scope of the movie. Just doing certain things like that, like going from a wide to a close, can really uh, make a scene that much more prominent and impactful when it would otherwise be overlooked. Again, real simple, like a uh, directorial and um, setup shot for when um, Zach Braff goes to pick up uh, Natalie Portman uh, when she's outside the hospital. Well, he doesn't go to there to do that. He just sort of pulls up next to her. So when they're talking, um, a lot of it, again, will be mids and uh, close-ups or mid-close-ups, that kind of thing between the two of them. But she draws attention to the bike. So then the camera goes back to a wide where we encompass both Natalie and Zach um, while he's sat on the bike and she's sat on the bench because the bike is being spoken about so it's important to show the bike in frame so that the audience can connect all the dots and everything and then when it goes the, the attention is drawn back off the bike it goes back to the mids and the close-ups you know for his directorial for his feature directorial debut Zach is doing a hell of a job on this one so good on him I know he's done a couple of episodes of Scrubs prior to this but uh, good on him he's doing well also, it's hilarious to me as a rugby fan that well, this is the first time in the movie, by the way, that so she gets on the bike he, to drive her home. It's the first time in the movie that he puts on a helmet while he's riding a bike. But it's hilarious to me as a rugby fan that she's randomly got a scrum cap in her bag that she puts on as her helmet. A, a scrum cap's not going to do anything if you fall off that thing. <laughs> but B, why is an American who like, Nine times out of ten Americans don't know shit about rugby. Why has she randomly got a scrum cap in her back? <laughs> it's so good. Such a weird, wacky thing to throw in there, but I like it. Uh, a point as well that only sort of occurred to me when um, Natalie Portman takes Zach Braff to her house uh, is that whenever there's a moment for Zach Braff's character to like take in you know, uh, part of the scenery or an object or a person or whatever, it will go to a shop from his perspective or whatever and then just do like a real simple slow track or pan up or something just like some simple movement of the camera to sort of show the audience what he's looking at and then there's never there's never any music to it and it will just be a real slow simple like unexcited sort of camera movement but it's a very funny little way of like us being us us as the audience being able to sort of see the world from Zach Braff's eyes with that kind of like awkward like wow, really, you have one of those type thing or whatever you want to put on it as the uh, thought that his character's thinking as an audience member. It's very good. I like it. A great intimate moment in the um, bedroom of Natalie Portman's character uh, where they get to know each other a little bit more and stuff and talking about, you know, like uh, their past and what makes them who they are and stuff. Um, and what, there's a great moment that, like, for me, one of my memories from this film that sort of summed up like what makes Natalie Portman's character her uh, is she says uh, she gets awkward and she needs to feel unique. So she makes a weird movement and noise to, and then claims that like, yeah, I've just done something completely unique and original that no one else on planet earth has ever done and no one will ever be able to copy. So like that in and of itself is completely unique. So she can, you know, feel a bit more 
special and i just feel like that's such a great um moment for a character to have like it's a great bit of writing you know behind this character making them who they are because it is really cool it's a really cool unique thing for that character i really love the set design in natalie portman's family's house you know everything like the, the mum when when they first get there the dogs are barking at zach and they're like quite hard to, to claw back um uh, you know away from him and the mum makes a point of saying like uh, oh we would train them but who's got time to train them so it's quite apparent that they're one of those families that's a bit frantic so they forego a lot of other things like uh general sort of tidiness like the house is really cluttered there's a weird contraption of uh like you know those like, hamster tubes so they can like explore places other than their cage and stuff that like they're everywhere there's clothes spread out there's clutter there's bits and bobs you know it's and then in the garden there's leaves everywhere that no one's like raked there's i think it's a trampoline that's got a tarpaulin on it and that's completely sunken down and in because of the weight of all the leaves on it so it's one of those houses where like they're obviously so busy doing other shit that they just sort of don't have a general upkeep and tidiness of their house and it just says so much about um them as a family but sort of reinforces why natalie portman's character is the way that she is you know she's very frantic and energetic and like i said a sort of a chaotic tour de force um which is the complete polar opposite of everything we know of zach braff and his family and their characters so far so it's it's a real nice way of sort of reinforcing why she is the way she is and you know where she comes from something that i think the set designer and the costume department um about sorry something about this film that makes me think that the set design and costume department would have spent a lot of time talking to each other um because there's so many moments where like what people are wearing colors wise and patterns wise is sort of mimicked in the the scenery you know especially when they're in homes so for example there's a scene where zach braff is talking to his dad ian home and um, Ian Holmes stood in sort of like an archway and everything behind him is quite bright and white or like off-whites and beiges and stuff. And he's wearing a sort of off-white beige-ish cardigan thing. And then Zach Braff is leaning up against something and everything behind him is a bit more dark and wood, you know, dark wood sort of uh, vibe. And he's wearing something dark brown. Um, and then we go to Natalie Portman's house and she's wearing a, like a pink uh, shirt thing and behind her is a pink blanket. Uh, her brother Tatembe is in um, uh, a sort of red room and he's wearing a, a red, a reddish shirt. You know, everyone's sort of similar. Uh, yeah, he had a really, I think this is like just typical funny Zach Braff humor, um, where it's, it's a little bit silly, but it's funny. Um, Tatembe, it's established before that he's uh, studying, this is Natalie Portman's brother, that he's studying criminal psychology and he's dusting for prints on a remote control and the mum's like what are you doing why and he's like well someone's been pissing on my gamecube and i'm about to close the case and then he's like the paw prints point towards a canine <laughs> it's like it wasn't apparent early on that the the thing in the house that's pissing on your gamecube was probably one of the dogs and then he's dusting for prints and he's like hmm these are paw prints it must be a canine <laughs> it's just it's such silly humor but it's very funny Ah, now I feel bad for um, finding the fact that she had a, a scrum cap in her bag funny because I've just seen the scene where it gets revealed that uh, she was wearing it because she was diagnosed with epilepsy and it's preventative covering. 
Um, so now I feel bad for laughing about that. But at the at the point at the time early on, you're just like, why is this person wearing a scrum cap? It doesn't make any sense. But now it's revealed. So you know, shame on me. Swimming pool scene. Um, so everyone jumps in the pool. Zach Braff can't swim, so it's advised that he goes and chills by the steps where he can like not drown. And the pool's very, very long. And everybody else, there's like 20 people staying down like the deep end, splashing around, having a good time. And he's over by himself. And we see like a lovely aerial shot of him swimming over by himself and then Natalie Portman making her way over to him too while everyone else is down the other end of the pool partying. Um, and he goes and sits in front of like, you know those pool lights? They're like under the water on the side of the pool. Uh, one of the lights. He goes and sits by one of them. And then... As Natalie Portman gets closer to him, the camera cuts from, and it starts, it's holding a little bit above the water, just looking at Zach Braff and Natalie Portman sat down the other end of the pool with their backs against the wall talking. And it's a really sweet, intimate conversation about, you know, being homesick and that kind of thing. And all the while, the camera is just slowly zooming in across the top of the water. It doesn't cut away. It doesn't speed up. It just slowly zooms in towards the two of them as they're having this conversation it's just a really nice sweet moment then we go to the uh, scene by the fireplace which starts with a lovely establishing shot which i love a bit of symmetry in my in my shots love a bit of symmetry so you get the centerpiece of the shot is this big roaring fireplace and natalie portman and zach braff are sat on one side peter scar uh, sorry and um the rich kid what is his name? I'll get to it later. I can't find out on IMDb. My bad, dude. But the rich guy. This out on the other side of the thing. So you get the symmetry. The rest of the shot is very dark. There's the only light in the scene or the source of light in the scene. Um, so I could go on a tangent about source of light, but I won't. The only source of light in the scene is the fireplace. Um, so you get this nice, warm, intimate moment between these four characters and it's presented in that symmetrical establishing shot, which is very nice. Zach Breath, pardon me, then goes on um, to talk about uh, his mum and why she was uh, paraplegic. Uh, he has a monologue about it. And most, the first half of that monologue and most of the shots of all the other characters in that scene are mids or mid closes and then as it gets to the sort of pinnacle or the more uh, emotionally impactful part of the monologue we get to see some close-ups of Zach Braff so again it's just a real simple way simple but effective I'm not when I say simple I don't mean to discredit it it's a simple but effective way of um, the, the camera raising the emotional tension of what we're seeing and hearing as audience members another like visual joke that they did in this uh film really creeps me up so zach braff's bike that he's riding um has a side cart so he drives it natalie hugs behind him and then uh, peter sarsgaard sits in the side cart and we already know that zach braff has one of those uh, half face helmets Fun bit of trivia in the bike community. They call them no-face helmets because they're not as protective as obviously a full-face helmet, normal motorbike helmet. Anyway, side tangent. So he's wearing that half-face helmet. Natalie Portman's wearing the scrum cap. And then Peter Sarsgaard has, yet again, a completely different helmet to the other two. He's got, like, a, a bike helmet, like a BMX bike helmet or something. It's some sort of weird... It's definitely not a motorbike helmet, but I just love that 
for love or money, no one can have like a proper motorbike helmet. They've got these own like like slapdash, like, yeah, fuck it, that'll do, I'll wear that. <laughs> like dope helmets. Okay, so we're going to cut ahead to, oh, wonderful cam- cameo by Method Man, um, before I rush past that. Um, but yeah, so then they end up going to this uh, quarry, and it's really sketchy. They're, they're on the sort of a fetch quest uh, for um, Peter Sarsgaard. He's got a secret going away present that he's organizing for Zach Braff before he goes back to LA. And they go to this like junkyard quarry thing there to meet some stranger to get the thing. And it's really sketchy. You're like, oh my God, are they going to go somewhere where like, you know, they could get hurt or worse or whatever. Or worse, expelled. And um, they go to knock on this boat. It's obviously like a boathouse that's on dry land uh, where the person lives. And they knock on the door and you're like, oh my God, what's going to open this door? So you get the sort of the tension of potential threat coming through. And then the person who opens the door, the bloke, uh, he's got a baby in his arms. And that immediately... Uh, extinguishes any sort of potential threat because he has an infant so it's a just like an interesting sort of story beat to put in then you know within the next moment uh the baby they you know put it down in its cot to go to sleep so the the baby's done but it's just there as an initial sort of story beat to uh so to to get rid of any sense of potential danger and then they do one of the bits that always stood out for me um when I can, what I can remember watching from this film when I watched it before uh, was they do the like the big quarry scream so Zach Braff climbs up on this like old crane or something and he stands on the cabin of it and just like screams at the top of his lungs into the quarry abyss and then the other two Peter Sarsgaard and uh, Natalie Portman jump up on there as well and they all scream in unison together and then as they do the camera like tracks back really quickly away from them and sort of down into the abyss. It's just like a, a nice sort of shot uh, that's mimicking uh, their scream. It's just it's just cool. And then finally, Zach Braff and Natalie Portman get their first kiss of the film. There was dialogue before that teased about um, them like not making out like the first time he goes to her house and things. So they finally get their kiss and it's all like romantic and it's raining and and all of that and the camera is sort of like um doesn't zoom back in from the point that it zoomed all the way out when they screamed but after it zooms out it cuts a little bit closer to them like as a wide with all of them and then as they kiss it zooms in a bit more closely on on those two um so it's just a like really again simple but not in a bad way simple but effective shots and editing and and camera movement to to portray stuff quickly talk about blocking between two characters so there's you know we've moved on from the quarry scene and then there's still a bit wet so for some reason because it was raining um so for some reason they're sat in the bath that this is just zach braff and natalie um both fully clothed so i don't know why they're sat in the bath you know i can appreciate if you've been out in the cold or whatever you might have a shower or a bath when you get into one back up but they're both sat in a bath that doesn't have any water in it and they're both fully clothed i guess it's somewhere safe that they can drip doesn't matter but blocking-wise, for where the actors are stood or sat, Zach Braff is leaning up against one end of the bath. And then you'd think, normally if two people are sharing a bath, the other person would be leaning against the other end. But Natalie isn't. She's sat right in the middle of the bath. So she's a lot closer to Zach Braff. So, and they're just sort of, you know, staring at each other or staring down or whatever. So it just creates that 
intimacy between the two characters that they're not casually sat there chilling they're sat there intimately engaging with each other and it's just a simple blocking mechanism like that closing the space between them just creates that uh, sort of subconsciously for the audience I adore one of those final uh, it's one of the final scenes but it's between Zach Graffney and Holm and it's sort of like finally when um, their relationship comes to a head in terms of, you know, Ian Holm blaming Zach Braff for um, making his mum a paraplegic uh, and how Zach Braff feels about it. it I'm not going to recite the dialogue to you because it would be the whole scene, but the dialogue in that scene and the performances from both the actors is so great. Most of the shots are, you know, there's wide establishing ones to let us know that we're in... Um, in Holmes' bedroom and stuff, but m most of the rest of the shots thereafter, because of the sort of intimacy of the conversation, it goes back to being close-ups and stuff. There's not really any music behind it. Um, you just have these wonderful, like, you know, open soul, open wound sort of uh, deliveries from Zach Braff and Ian Holm. It's a, it's a brilliant scene. It doesn't need to do a lot, like cinematography-wise, lighting-wise, sound-wise. Obviously, there's the people that are behind those things are doing great jobs but what I mean is like it doesn't need to be like a fanfare fanciful type moment it's just the beauty of that scene is in its simplicity and it's a excellently executed scene um this is the second or third time I've watched this movie like I said I haven't watched it for a long time but I my, my jaw was dropped in that scene it's it's a great scene it's why we watch cinema so that we can feel things be it to feel laughter or to feel fear if we're watching a horror movie or to feel joy if we're watching a rom-com or to get a heart racing if we're watching a, an action thriller. Um, we watch movies to feel things and that made me feel things. So excellent work, everybody. Okay, wrap up the final scene real quick. Um, again, great symmetry uh, when they're sat on the stairs sort of saying their goodbyes. There's an escalator on either side and then the main stairway in the middle and they're sat on the main stairway so it's just a nice symmetrical shot I don't know something beautiful about uh, symmetry in films it just always looks nicer uh, and then um, there's a great shot of Zach Braff being sat on the plane um, debating whether or not he's gonna you know uh, go back to Natalie or, or carry on on his plane to LA um, and everyone around him is a bit like manic and, and frenzied like they're the or the audio in the background is um, like, you know, people mumbling and talking and, and that kind of thing, you know, like uh, background noise. And then it sort of just zooms in slowly over the rows of seats to get to Zach Braff. And then he has his realization moment, um, you know, and then cut to him getting back to, to Natalie and they have a, a teary reunion where they, you know, declare their love for each other and things. And then the final shot is just a real nice uh of uh, the camera tracks back away from them as they're embracing and hugging after they said they loved each other and things so they're left in center frame and the camera tracks back leaving them to enjoy their you know happy private moment together in the emptiest airport on the planet there is no one else in that airport um side note so they probably filmed it like at the dead of night and just hired like rented out one area of it uh, who cares about the logistics of filming um I love this film. If you haven't seen Garden State, watch it. It's uh, it's a wonderful sort of coming of age story, um, and it says so much about people being stuck in the mud with a lack of ambition or falling into bad habits. You know, like um, the characters in the film that do nothing but like 
get high or get drunk and and you know won't leave the small town everyone has that small t- town mentality and you know no discredit to people that are comfortable doing that you do you or whatever but this is what the, i think the film is saying um and it also says about being open to your feelings um because like zach braff's character has been very walled off due to the medication he's on or he has been on because of his um psychology and then once he abandons that he because you know at the start the film was saying how sort of stoic and unmoved and unemotive he is and then towards the end he becomes a lot more emotive and and worked up because he's he's not taking the medication anymore so he's allowed to feel his feelings and he becomes aware that that's an important thing to be able to do so there's a statement about uh, you know mental health and psychology and stuff bearing in mind this film was i think 2004 so before I'm not discrediting the idea of of mental health. It's very important, but it seems to be a lot more within the mainstream now. And Zach Braff was making this statement 18 years ago before it was more mainstream to do so. So he was way ahead of the curb. That's what I mean by that. Um, it's a great film. There's so many themes and, and notes to it. And it's just got that wonderful, cheeky, silly Zach Braff humor uh, combined with an excellent score um, and wonderful performances from everybody Peter Sarsgaard, Natalie Portman, Zach Braff, all the rest of the supporting cast, you know, Ian Holm, everybody is great in this film. Um, if you haven't seen it, please do. It's it's wonderful. And if you have seen it, I hope you enjoyed my podcast on it. And that concludes episode five. Um, <clears throat> I enjoy doing these things. I enjoy talking about films. I could talk about them for hours. Um, so I hope you enjoy listening to them too. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Um, MMLP on Spotify, Monday uh, Movie Mondays with Luke Pickett on pretty much everything else, uh, Deezer, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Apple Podcasts, no, we're not on Apple yet, we're trying to get on Apple, it's been a bit tricky, um, Google Podcasts we are on, um, yeah, peace and love everybody, and happy Earth Day, I'm recording this on Earth Day on, on a Friday, but it will be coming to you on a Monday, so yeah, peace out.